Coaches, are you looking for a way to level up and win more? Then you should check out GMS Plus, your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. You can learn from the game's greats, such as John Spraw, Mike Wall, Heather Olmstead, Keegan Cook, and Courtney Thompson. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will get you there. You can get 20% off an annual subscription by going to goldmedalsquare.com CYBO and entering the coupon code CYBO. That's goldmedalsquare.com CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. I wanted to move on to uh, some of that really made an impact I've been using right away is the the player improvement plans. Um, could you could you give us a little background like where you learned this idea and um, then we'll get more into what it is. And there's a really funny story around the Chicago Cubs when um, Epstein took over there and he implemented a culture system, a whole system, not just even culture, but development system within the Cubs. Um they had this principle or core value of we value the development of every single player within our, you know, within the, within our, 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 our farm system, our league, right. Or within the Cubs organization. Right. Now that's a principle of value. And this comes back to, it's great to say that it's great to put that on a wall or put that in a document, but they backed it up with player improvement plans was one of the ways that they really were able to invest in the development of every player. And they had this moment, I, and I forget who it was, but they had this moment where they're like, you know, we have all this data on our players. We have these files on our players around the areas for growth and what's wrong here and what they need to work on. And they were seeing that traditionally in the Major League Baseball, players wouldn't actually make my see that until the day they actually got cut from the team or fired from the team. They're like, why are we not sharing this with the players from day one? And so that be kind of came the, the the foundation, the player improvement plans of of these documents around where they saw them and where they needed to grow. Now, I think they've have moved more towards an area, and I know all the teams that I've worked with, we don't try to come out of a place of like sitting down with the individual and saying, "All right, this is what me and the coaches all think about you, and this is what you need to work on." We like to use a more motivational interviewing style and guiding approach, and saying, "Hey, if all the areas of that you, you know, first off, what are your goals? What are your aspirations? Individual and team, we want to know them because they're important to us. So we start by allowing them to identify their goals and aspirations. And then we say, okay, when it comes to the physical side, you know, your athleticism, your technical skills, your tactical, you know, decision-making skills, your character, maybe it's performance character, maybe it's relational type character, you know, being selfless. Um, You know, when it comes to these things, where do you need to grow? Where do you need to improve if you want to achieve those goals and those aspirations? So we're allowing them to go first and share. What's the only is they'll probably share most of what we would have shared with them, but they're taking ownership and they're taking responsibility. And then we can kind of come in and maybe add one or two areas that may have missed in that to build out that player improvement plan. Um, and from there, it's like, okay, if you're going to improve on your you know, volleyball, your passing, um, or you're going to improve on your jumping, then it's like, well, what are you going to do? And so then we use the science around, you know, implementation intentions, which there's a lot of research that 
we need to be really clear in our commitments. So when will we do it? You know, how much, you know, where are we going to do it? You know, what are we going to do? Like how much, how many reps are we going to do in that? And then also identify some obstacles that might keep us from like, Hey, if I say I'm going to get in the gym and work out every, every morning at 6am, what are going to be some challenges for you in that? That's a great commitment. And we love that, but what's going to be hard about that for you. And then working with them on some of the more life, you know, personal challenges around work ethic or self-discipline or organization in their life to help them be successful. So we talk about identifying the obstacle is always a really good thing in that player improvement plan conversation. Um, what is also great to add there is role clarification, uh, where they fall in the lineup. And having these things documented allows you to come back and review them every month or every two weeks or you know, at a minimum every two months. But you know, if you're in a four-month season, you at least need to review it four times um, and be making, making some adjustments and some changes for sure. Yeah, we've, we've really enjoyed it and been using it. And um, the framework that you set up in the book is just helps guide you on, on how to do it. Um, I'm curious, as, as we went through it and we started with that idea of, you know, not the traditional way of, hey, here's where I think you can get better, but of, you know, more motivational interviewing way, like you said, where you ask them where, where you know, what are your aspirations in sport and in life? And um, I'm curious what you do. So some of them we asked and is like, wow, that aspiration is, is seems a little high, like, like not even possible or, or the other way it was like, ah, I don't know if they're like pushing themselves hard enough. What, what do you do in those situations when you don't feel like um, they're quite online with, with, uh, reality, I guess. I think it starts with just curiosity, you know, be really curious. We're working with a coach who high level high school program, but one of the players said, I want to play. It's in the, in the Madison area. And he said, um, in Wisconsin, and he said, I want to play division one basketball at the university of Wisconsin. This guy's like, you might, you might struggle to play division three, right? Like it's just a ridiculous type aspiration. And he's like, well, why? Why is that so important to you? He's like, well, I've always loved basketball and my mom's you know, single mother. I got four younger brothers and sisters. I want to make them proud and I want to pay for school. And the coach is like, well, let me tell you all these other ways you can do that, you know? And it doesn't revolve around getting a division one scholarship, you know, for, to play basketball, you know? And it's like, let's, let's talk about other avenues to do that. And, um, you know, because it, so I think that's one thing It's just going and try to understand why that's so important. And so often like our dreams, our goals, we have them there because society has this message that if you play volleyball or you play soccer you have to want to be the best or else you're not like, for, and especially like American, like we're always so competitive. We got to be the best at everything, right? Like that's, I think it's a big American culture type thing. You see it in other areas too, in other countries, I've seen it, but I think it's very predominant in the American culture, which is if you're going to do it, you, anything, you got to do it to your very best and want to be the best. And that's what's wrong with just saying, Hey, I really enjoy volleyball. I want to have a really good high school season and play a little club or, you know, like, do we always have to have that dream, that goal? I loved basketball. It was all I ever wanted to do. And probably in high school, I started to have this thing of like, I don't really enjoy this anymore. And other reasons for that were largely, you know, 
a very transactional and emotive, emotionally, mentally, and almost physically abusive coach. Um, so, you know, there's, there's reasons for that, that are beyond that. But I think a lot of times kids just have this dream or goal because that's what they think they're supposed to have. So asking why can I help, help address that. And another part of the player improvement plans is making commitments to towards reaching that aspiration. Uh, what do you do if the player's commitments are too vague? Like, you know, I just want to get better. I'm going to work really hard. Uh, how do you guide them with that? Yeah. So a great, great tool to could be, um, is to first off teach them an implementation intention. You can just type an implementation intention into YouTube and you're going to find like three to four easy how to videos, like three minute videos where they'll have, you know, little characters telling you what it is and the research behind it. And then say, Hey, here's a piece of paper. You said you want to grow in these three areas, have a thought on it, or here's a note card, come back tomorrow and, and have these written out. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? And how often? Every week for the next month. Simply coach them and teach them on that. Um, a lot of kids just struggle to A, set goals and then figure out actually how to work towards that goal. And I took that for granted. This is the mentoring aspect of it, right? And this is where you move beyond coach, which is like, oh, it's their responsibility. Well, or for me, it was like, well, when I wanted a goal, like I want to play division one basketball, I would, you know, sit down and build a workout and chart my missed shots and made shots. Like I, I did all those things. And I, I can't just assume my players know how to do that or I've developed the life skills to do that. So by me sitting down and helping them teach them this goal setting and building in commitments and identifying the obstacles of oh, waking up, well, here's a little tip or a little tool. on Here's how I, I wake up early, you know, at the same time every day. Like, so I think just teaching those things um, would, would be huge and it's going to transfer into life as well, right? And you mentioned motivational interviewing. Um, can you tell us, I guess, how you use that to help them guide them and create their their pips? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, the, the pips are built off of a series of questions that are a, more of a guiding style approach rather than just directing and telling. Um, and we try to teach coaches the other aspects of oars, you know, affirmations, you know, even when it's like a, a, a maybe it's a goal that you think is ridiculous or, um, an area for growth that, you know, just that they, Oh, well, I think you have made a lot of progress and being really specific around what they've done, uh, to, to make that progress. So, you know, we kind of go through those oars, you know, open questions, affirmation, reflective listening statements, you know, just stating back what, what we're kind of hearing, encouraging them to share more. Um, and I, I kind of talk about, you know, two different types of reflections there and summarizing at the end, you know, I think at the end of that conversation, you could just say, all right, here's what I'm hearing. These are what, this is what's important to you. These are the things that you're going to do over the next month. This is how I can support you and help you because you're gonna ask that question. Hey, how can I support you and help you in these things? You know, is that correct? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, now they feel like, man, coach is invested in me. This is the amazing thing about the pips. Do they lead to drastic improvement like and in, in growth? And does every player follow through on their commitments because you do this? No, but you'll see a much higher level of follow through on commitments than you would if you didn't do pips. But also the player feels valued. They feel cared about. And one of the big three reasons that we have playing time issues in any team 
probably at the core, right, is, you know, the, probably the biggest two is a lack of actual communication around where they stand, which you address here in the pips once you get roles, and also feeling valued. And you'll solve those two issues, boom, right here with the pips. Like you will completely solve those issues. And when parents come and they have issues around playing time, hey, look what look what the things I'm doing for your daughter, your son. And also we've we've had this conversation and, and they and they know where they stand. And this is why, and this is what they need to do to improve. So those are t- a couple of big things uh, with the pips as well. But anyways, back to the motivational interview. Um, those would be, you know, the main four skills, ORs, but also I like ask, offer, ask. It's just like mm-hmm. when you ask a question, a lot of times the player will be like, I don't know. Or, you know, that's a great opportunity. Like, well, hey, can I offer a little suggestion here? You know, or can I offer like, I think you nailed those two things, but do you mind if I offer one more area that I think would be really important and help you to be effective and help you to achieve your goals and the team's goal? And that that offer, ask, offer, ask. So I try to keep the, the, the skills simple because, you know, it, it, to be able to remember them and to, to work at them, I think that's important. Yeah, the ask, offer, ask is a, is a really good one that I don't think I use enough. I'm curious as, if you, as you've implemented and, and been teaching coaches motivational interviewing, um, what are some of the mistakes you see made, some of the maybe low-hanging fruit we can learn from and when we try to implement it, uh, try to avoid? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great question. And when I'm working with coaches, you know, and my one-on-ones, we talk about, once a week, the thing that, you know, we, and oftentimes we'll walk through a conversation. Hey, how did kind of that conversation go with Billy or how did that conversation go with John? And we'll walk through what was said. What I find in that reflection is that they may come in with a question and then the player might answer. And then the coach comes in and dominates. Like they come in like curious, but they're really not truly curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this question, but then the player answers. They don't like the answer. And they go on the defensive or they start just telling and trying to fix they, that riding reflex just flares up. So I like to, before the conversation, have the coach have a few questions, but also it's not just about the skills of like having great questions. Yeah. You got to have great questions, but I say the, probably the biggest issue because you can forget the skills and you'll still do really well if you come in with the right mindset. The right, the right mindset is, do you see the person and are you curious? If you come in with curiosity, you're naturally going to ask more questions, good questions, and be more empathetic in that conversation. And when we're empathetic, we're more likely to affirm the good things and affirm you know, their, their progress, but also affirm their struggles. You know, I, I could see why that's really hard. I could stuff to get out here and get that work. And I could see why you haven't fallen. I understand why, you know, you haven't fallen through on all those commitments last month, but let's talk about how, you know, maybe we can overcome some of those things. So at the core of that, it's just, you got to come in with this curiosity to see the person and what they might be going through. That's where coaches struggle. It's such a such a shift, and it, it covers kind of what we initially started the conversation with of a coach versus a mentor, right? Think of a coach has all the answers. They tell you what to do. I'm going to fix all your problems. I'm going to write the wrong, you know, I'm going to do all this where the mentor, it seems like they come in with that curiosity, with that 
that empathy, trying to understand, trying to be there for for the player. So so MI really lines up with that mentor mindset versus the coach mindset. Absolutely. That it that's at the core of it, right? Um, so as a club coach, um, and I guess club coaches listening, this it sounds really cool to have like like maybe John, I coach college, I have office hours, my players can come in, we can go over their player improvement plans. Um, if you're only coaching like two days a week on a club team or you know, younger kids, um, is there a way to still get this in? Would you recommend like just doing like maybe one player a day after practice, or can you do it over email or phone call, or how would you go about that? Yeah, Billy, you know, every coach that I you know, reads the book or I work with says, man, I don't know if I have time for that. And that's whether you're a college division one coach, pro coach, like it's, I had even a hockey Academy coaches that were like, I don't know, JP, that's a lot. Like once a month, I'm <laughs> like, guys, you a, are paid full time. And secondly, uh, you have 18 hour bus trips, like 18 hours on a weekend. You at least have one 10 hour bus trip every month. Right, right, right there. You know, like I, I think splitting it up between coaches can be helpful. <clears throat> what I also like to see is like, it's part of practice, you know, it's before or after practice, or you might be like, okay, well, I've got you know three, four kids at home. I got to leave right after practice. That's great. Okay. Um, why don't you finish practice early 10 to 15 minutes with you running it, but they run the last 10 to 15. Do you really need to be running the last like passing drill or shooting drill, you know? Finish it a little bit early. Make that part of the the you know little tradition. They run a drill there. You meet with a player for ten to fifteen minutes in the sideline, and then you come back and you circle up and you're done for the day, right? So you can just little things like that. Even if you're just one coach with one team, the, the reality is, I I understand the the energy it takes to implement this is on the higher side of all the other strategies in the book. Of all the strategies in the book, this is probably will take the most energy to consistently follow up on like a team manifesto, meaning like you can do that in like 30 minutes or 60 minutes with your team, you know, like everything else is pretty low energy investment. It's just about staying consistent with it. But this one has probably arguably one of the most greatest like impacts within players today, especially at a club level where parents are paying thousands of dollars for their kid. It's like, Hey, I do value your kid. I do value their, their improvement. So. That's helpful. In chapter 12, you talk about creating a solution-based team. Uh, how have you seen coaches that you've worked with empower players to solve issues? One of the biggest obstacles there is that players initially for a lot of coaches don't actually think the coach really cares about their opinion when we ask for it because they've been hurt in the past or, you know, or it's just weird that a coach is asks, actually asking, you know, Hey, well, what do you think is a good solution to this issue? Um, we use captain's councils as, as a big one is to collect and gather issues. So that's a group of players that the players select to support, to serve and to connect. And we break those captains into units. So it might be one captain might have three or four players that they look over and are leading. And we like to go, Hey, you know, before you meet with your captains each week, um, maybe it's before or after practice, you, 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 the day before you say, Hey, reach out to the people in your unit and see if there's any issues or things that they'd like to be discussed. So it's first off, are we finding issues? Are issues being brought to us? Um, I've seen an issues box, you know, coach sends out a Google form. They can submit it anonymously. Uh, Ted Lasso had his little 
suggestions box, right? You know, like in a little shoe box in the locker room. And I've seen coaches do something like that. And it's just getting people to make, uh, bring the issues there. But then it's to have that solution mindset, which is, okay, is this a real issue? Uh, do we understand why this is a problem? Okay, how, how can we solve it moving forward? And so if you get the captains in there and they bring up an issue of, uh, you know, like one amazing story is, is um, I share in the book is um, there was a European professional coach and a player was unhappy with their role in their playing time. They brought it to the captains and, you know, the head coach was like, okay, I'm a little surprised by that because I thought we were pretty clear, but, you know, we'll revisit this with the assistant coaches. And then he met with the assistant coaches and they were like, yeah, no, this is, this is where he stands. I think we're making the right decisions. So they communicate that back to that, that, that captain and said, Hey, we're going to need to have a conversation with this individual, I guess, because, you're not buying in. And the captain was like, no, 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 I got this. I understand. Like, we just understand why this player wasn't playing as much. We thought they'd play more, but this makes sense based upon the stuff you're telling us. So here, a playing time issue doesn't even have to have the coach step in and have the card conversation with the player. It came from the captain. It's just like, Hey man, this is, this is what, this is why you're playing this much. This is, you know, this is what, you know, or this little, uh, and this is why this is your role. And, you know, and this is what you need to do. And so it was like a, a new voice. So that's like a cool, cool little story there uh, from the book. But yeah, the more we can ask our players, you know, what's, you know, once they're bringing those issues and, and the captains or, or the individuals bringing it to us, and what's the solution? You got any suggestions? Well, then if they don't have any, it's like, can I offer one? You know, so that back to that ask, offer, ask as well too. What are the, the boundaries that you suggest coaches set in terms of that? I could see just like letting players lose so yeah you go go solve the problem and it could become uh i don't know a mutiny but yeah how do you make sure that uh players communicate with players effectively solution-based and i guess like you said there's a captain's council you don't open up to everyone there's a small group but yeah how do you go around that that part of it i haven't seen a lot of situations where this becomes a constant you know, like mutiny, like you said, we haven't seen that. What we, the, but did have an issue with the team I, or coach I consulted with and supported last year at the college division one level. And the players there started to use it as a complaining. Uh, you know, they just constantly just complain about certain coaches on staff. And they're never got, they struggle to find resolution on those things. Cause it's like, well, they had a, a problem with that coach's personality. And it just kind of kept coming back to a, a lack of ownership throughout the year. And so what we've worked on to address that issue this year with that team and that coach is first off, we've got to get our coaches to build those relationships, you know, to overcome some of those personality differences. And, and, and that's really at the, bit of the core of the issue. We can just say, Hey, you guys got to stop complaining, but this is their mindset. So what's an effective intervention? Well, first off, the coaches have done an incredible job this season and the staff of building those relationships and, and, and repairing some of that damage that had been you know done regardless of who's at, at fault there. Um, the, the second thing is developing and training a, a, mindset through after action reviews where you first self-reflect 
before you can give feedback to other people. So that's something they do a lot now, which is just like, hey, today's practice stunk. What could I have done better to make it, you know, a better practice or what, you know, like whatever my, you know, I struggled with play. Like it's always, and they didn't have a lot of self-reflecting tools. They had just like this constantly coming to the captains, just bringing those issues and complaints. Um, and I think it's also teaching there was a difference between an issue and a complaint. So getting players self-reflecting in that situation was huge. Another suggestion you make in the book uh, when problems arise is the idea of natural consequences. Can you talk about what that means and how coaches can use natural consequences? On a very simple, basic level, um, one way that natural consequences are used, you know, which, you know, for five years, I was getting on my players, this one high school team I was coaching at, put your jerseys in the wash, put your jerseys in the wash. You know, I'd be constantly picking up jerseys and sweaty shorts put them in the wash. Uh, and then I said, you know what guys, if you don't put it in there, when I, when I leave and I turn the wash machine, you're just gonna have a wet Jersey the next day. And then, you know, the next day comes and, you know, guys like having to wear this stinky Jersey. And he's like, coach, can you give me a, a spare Jersey? No, no, that's it, man. Like, you, you know, you'll make sure it's in the wash, you know, like all of a sudden it's never a problem. So sometimes there's, there's, you'll see opportunities that I don't need to have some sort of logical progressive type consequences or anything like that. It's just like, let them experience that. But the other way, the more common way to, to have natural cons- to really use natural consequences is really to come and discuss. So if you set a standard when the, around the team, um, and you know, like because you have this goal and you have this vision, they want this type of experience, and you say, Okay, what are we gonna do to create that experience? It's just to say, guys, if if, if what's gonna happen if we don't do that? Like if we don't do those things that we said we needed to do what's the result? You know, it's, it's not, and just don't, don't just have it as a rhetorical question. Like really explore, like what will that team environment look like if people just show up late all the time? What will that team environment look like if, you know, people don't touch the lines or the people don't go hard in drills, right? Like, will that, you know, really explain that. And the other thing is I, I was just working with a college hockey coach for last week and he had three players that had made this commitment to like go, and are in the, the prairies and like go work and build a farm with one of the dads there. And they had like, it was like a, a reasonable commitment to go work on a Friday night. They didn't realize the team building event was going to be that Friday night. They thought, Oh, we have Friday morning practice and we'll have something in the afternoon and then we can go to that. The coach said, and then, so they were asking to be able to go to this and say, hey, miss this team event early on in the year. And they're all, they're three freshmen in college. And the coach just said, well, if you go, what do you think the natural consequences are going to be of that? How do you think that's going to be perceived? Not saying, not trying to do this to make you feel bad, but just what are the consequences? Well, I'm less connected. I don't know these guys. Maybe they don't feel like we're as committed. Maybe other people start to miss team events moving forward. And then we don't have really good attendance. So then the question is, okay, so what can we do to avoid these consequences or maybe mitigate these? If you still want to go, that's fine. We'll work through that, you know, or miscommunication or that led to this problem, but like, what can you do to mitigate these consequences? So that becomes the conversation there on natural consequences. What What's more effective, letting them touch the hot stove or saying, what would it feel like if you touch the hot stove? Sometimes you, you have to recognize that as a coach, we want a certain level of control. And that the pain um, 
of, of those consequences of touching, like you're saying, touching the hot stove is necessary for some individuals. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to just surrender the fact that we really don't have control over their behaviors and, and just kind of work through that. Yeah. I think that we, we view culture and like, oh, if we implement JP's culture system, our season, our culture is just going to be this constant upward climb. Mm-hmm. That's not the reality. The reality is the system's there so that you can experience setbacks. You can have players not meet the standards, but you come in and support and hold them accountable and force that, but just kind of grow through that. Yeah, learning is nonlinear. Um, we just have a couple left. Um, and one of them is on standards. I, I wanted to, this was, I mean, I could, we could have covered 10 topics. I'm like, yeah, I've been using this with my team. There's another one that we've been implementing, uh, this three-step process of uh, standards review. C- can you take us through that? Yeah. I, I don't know if I, if the, the, the full story made it in, in the book, it definitely, I don't think it did. There's, there's one of my first standard reviews that I ever did with my team, um, was, just about how to start practice. We did this thing called like a quick set. It was like, uh, we put three drills together that would start practice. That'd be really sharp one minute drills. And I just say, guys, what does excellence look like here in this drill? Like if we were the golden state warriors, what would we look like? And we get all, you know, and we get these behaviors down. Um, so it's just, it's, it's just picking an area of your program on how we warm up. And then I would just hold them to that standard throughout the, throughout the year. And the consequence which we agreed upon in that standard was, you know, if you go unacceptable, right, the drill resets and we go back to one minute. You know, like that was a that was a cool, powerful way. And now, the quick set has become a staple of almost every program I work with. Coaches build this out; they pick three to five drills and they start practice, and it becomes this. But they use the standard review to set what we would call the success criteria for that drill. That's, that's one thing, but there's another really cool story because you can do other things outside of the practice. I remember I was taking a team down to Florida and we were going out to dinner, like at Olive Garden. And we had been on a seven hour bus trip and 15, 16 boys get out of the bus and we go in to have dinner at the Olive Garden. I say, guys, before we go in there now, typically in my, it would have been like, you know, hats off, you know, keep your voice down, be, you know, say please and thank you. All these things. I said, guys, Long trip. I know you're tired. We're looking forward to crushing about, you know, 50 pounds of breadsticks right now. I know it, but like, we're here to have dinner as a team. We could just grab this to go and just like eat on the bus, but we're here to have dinner as a team. So what would a great team dinner look like? Just give me three things, fellas, three really important things. They're like, no phones, keep your voice down, please. And thank you. Like, it was like less than a minute. I said, all right, you guys hold it. You guys hold us, you know, each other accountable to that. We go in there, we have that dinner, they crush it. I don't realize, you know, I'm like, yeah, it's, it went well, you know, but they really, they crushed it. And then this lady, at, it was set next to us. I think it was an older lady. Uh, she goes out and she takes a picture of our bus and she sends it to a friend, you know, four states or three states away out in Tennessee. It's like this team, do you, you know, it, her friend lived in our, in our town, our city. I guess she figured out that we lived in Tennessee and she says, do you know this school? And and she's like, well, this team was the nicest team I've ever had to sit next to in a restaurant before. Me and my husband were absolutely dreading dinner when we saw this team walk in. They couldn't have been more well-behaved. Da, 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 da. Sends this message to this parent who then posts on social media and then just goes around viral. And it's it's this big thing like, oh, like, you know, Notre Dame High School, you know, just how well, how well they're representing, you know, ever you know, down in Florida. And just 
it was just this kind of cool moment where it was acknowledged and recognized. But I didn't lecture. I just said, guys, here's the purpose. We're here to have a great team dinner. What's that look like? They identified the, the standards. That's so cool. Yeah, I think I picture doing this. Like, oh, we set our standards, you know, at uh, the beginning of the season about how we want to act in these situations. And then those situations come up and uh, you just kind of go into it instead of revisiting it and asking one question to remind them, yeah, what is exceptional? What's unacceptable? Um, it seems like that's how you keep it living instead of just talked about it before, like just wallpaper that we we agreed on a long time ago. Yeah, and I, I, what I like here is too, if you have a captain's council, is like you, you, you get an area, like team meetings or team dinners. Hey, Billy, you're as a captain, you're responsible for that area. You're responsible for that area. And then you kind of delegate captains, not just players, but you start to delegate them areas of focus. And um, that then, then they become like, you know, the leader in that situation. And that's really powerful. Because a lot of times then it's like nobody, you know, when, when there's not clear, you know, this is the guy that's going to lead in this area, then, then nobody steps up, you know? Does it, does it still, st- that power, that question still stay powerful? Like if you're doing it all the time, like, oh, if what would make this game exceptional, does it lose any of its, uh, its I don't know, pizzazz if, if we're doing it all the time? Or do you like pick your spots or are you like consistent with it? We just keep asking that question. I think you got to know about your players and where they're at. I've got a college coach division three that does it every week with some area of the program. He's like, we're not going to, they don't even do a team standards at the beginning of the year. They say, we're going to do our first weight room session. Let's set the team standard there. It's done. Going into our first game, first road trip. And they're always doing a standard review once a week. I think it, it wears the players a little bit. And I think sometimes he just calls that out and says, I know, but we got to make sure what we know what this looks like here. So mm-hmm. we're all in agreement. Um, and I see other coaches use it more as a solution-based approach to when issues come in, come up around behavior just mm-hmm. to revisit. So I see more proactive and I see more reactive. And I'd say, you know what, both, both work. Um, you kind of got to know your players. Right. Yeah. Either way, I think it's a great, great tool that people can, can use right away. Again, another really uh, practical tool. All right. So yeah, just to wrap it up, it, it's the way you conclude the book is you share a really another personal story about how overwhelmed you were with coaching, how consumed you were. It was affecting your family life, affecting um, your personal life. And I think lots of coaches have felt this way. It's such a hard job. There's so much uh, to try to learn and understand. There's so much failure. Uh, there's so much struggle. Um, and also like a ton of work, right? You're consumed by it. So I'm, I'm curious what advice you have for coaches to ensure that they can have a healthy balance of enjoying this, this profession that's so important. And so, um, yeah, just so important. And, and then while still having a healthy life outside of their, their work life. Yeah. I, the, the biggest thing I tell coaches, and if there's only one thing you take from part one of the book, it is personal disciplines. You could not have a mission statement. You could not have a vision statement. You can have no core values, but you start to do things. And I kind of share seven personal disciplines in the book around, you know, sleep being a big one. Um, you know, obviously there's exercise and nutrition, but you know, journaling, mindfulness or solitude. Um, you know, I, sh- I share seven ones that I've found that great leaders all have or have some of them. And I think that that's, having some of those within our life is absolutely critical that we're taking time to self-care, take care of ourselves and also to reflect. 
to make sure we are continuously striving for the right type of balance. Um, so that would be a big thing is, are you doing things within your own individual life? And I think the other thing is within coaching, and obviously I've been, I've been out of coaching pretty much for the last six, seven years. I'm only coaching coaches now. Like that's, and I've had that one stint during COVID where I couldn't travel. So I was like, okay, Hey, I, I might take up this opportunity because I was sought out to coach this team. But, um, for me, uh, I look at it and say, how can I integrate integrate my family life within my coaching life? And until I feel like there's an opportunity where I can integrate those together, um, then I probably not going to jump at it because of what I know it record, what it costs, you know? And, um, I, I, when we just personal life circumstances, you know, my wife was, was trying to advance her career and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, I had to make a decision to step out of it a little bit and and, and that was challenging for us. But I, I think it's about integrating your family life. If that's a big struggle for you as much as you possibly can within your coaching life, nailing those personal disciplines down. Um, you do those two things and I think uh, you'll find it gets better, but the job will always be stressful. I think, so this is my last thing I'd share is like, we have to stop creating these expectations in our mind that if I do all these things like within culture and I show up because I want to make a difference in kids' lives, that I'm not going to have any stress or challenge with it. That parents are always going to be grateful that I'm there and, and the players will always love me. Like you're going to pour into your players. You're going to spend loads of time with them. You're going to get paid next to nothing for it in a lot of situations in most coaching situations, right? Mm-hmm. And you could all we could all probably go make more money doing something else. But, you know, we go, we do those things, then we expect there to be no conflict. We expect there to be total buy-in. We expect there to be no complaining or parent complaints. And that's just not reality. That's just not reality. And I think we got to drop that expectation a little bit. This job will remain stressful for you, even with the disciplines. You do the disciplines. So when stress comes, you can respond in the right way and handle that stress and challenge, which is inherent in the job. And that's what great coaching is. You know, it's easy to coach when your team is winning well, nobody's complaining, everybody's bought in. That's that's easy. But but great coaching is when adversity strikes your team and the grumbling's happening that you can dig in and, and stay true to who you are as a coach. It's a great, great message, a great way to end a, really uh insightful and uh helpful conversation um where where can people i know people can get the book on amazon um if people uh, want to get in contact with you or anything you want to share in closing yeah you can head on over to myculturesystem.com you can to buy the book uh internationally there's links everywhere to all the different amazon sites on myculturesystem.com as well as some free tools and checklists to go with your culture system uh, you can go to tocculture.com uh, for more information around the other stuff that I do with coaching coaches. Uh, we have a team of coaches that coach coaches, right? So we've got a team of mentors that that um, to support coaches in their journey. And then if you have a question for me, shoot me an email at jpnurbin, N-E-R-B-U-N at tocculture.com. Amazing. Hope people take advantage. This, uh, yeah, like I said, just a, an impactful book. I was so uh, loved it so much. I was hoping you'd uh, be willing to do this and so thankful that you did. So thanks for your time and thanks for writing a great book. 
Absolutely. Um, the way that you're using it is the way that I was hoping coaches would use it. You know, it's kind of just something they keep coming back to. So I appreciate it a lot.